Amen. Well, thank you all for spending a few moments in prayer this morning. Um, I'm really excited this morning because Christina and I both are going to share a little bit today, and Christina is actually going to share a song with you all as well at the end. So um, I'm excited about what we have to share, and it's a great message to hear at the beginning of the year. Uh, This morning, I just want to be clear right up from the beginning that my hope for us this morning is that we will experience Jesus in one way or another that we will experience Jesus. My hope is that each and every one of us in this room will have a genuine encounter with Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we show up to church and we just kind of go through the routine, we go through the motions, and then we just go home. And, and that's okay. Sometimes that's about all we can do, maybe, is just show up. And if that's you, then I'm glad you are here. This morning, though, I just encourage you, just to try to lean in a little bit. I encourage you to try to put away any distractions that might be in front of you right now. Try to place yourself in the story that we're going to read today. Because these words from Scripture, they weren't just ancient words written a long time ago. They have power for us today. They're speaking truth. They are alive for us today in this moment. What we have to share this morning actually I think is quite simple but it has the power and the potential to be life-changing. So I'm going to read our scripture from this morning. It comes from the Gospel of John, and I'm just going to read it off the screen uh, here this morning so you can follow along. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one you will baptize, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So this passage begins with John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. It's a similar story in a way to what Rick preached last week, except it's from a different gospel. And we don't actually see John baptizing anyone in this gospel. 
but we see John being a witness and speaking about what he saw in Jesus. Um, I've heard someone say that in the Gospel of John, he's, this guy is not John the Baptist, he's John the witness. And that's really the emphasis that John is placing, uh, the Gospel writer John is placing on John the Baptist. Those are two different Johns, by the way. And so in this passage, we, we hear John the Baptist or John the witness speaking about Jesus. And he essentially says, you all, I saw it with my own eyes. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He's like, I saw the dove come down. I heard the voice from heaven. He's like, y'all got to trust me on this. This is the one we've been waiting for. And John was a very respected person. He was a prophetic figure. But he said, this, this guy is far greater than I will ever be. This is the one I'm talking about. And two of John, the, the Baptist disciples, left John the Baptist, and they started following Jesus. Now Jesus turned around and he saw these two men following him. And he spoke his first words in the entire Gospel of John. These are the first words that Jesus speaks in this Gospel. And his first words were actually a question. Jesus was a really good teacher. You know, I think good teachers, they ask way more questions and they give less answers, right? This is what Jesus was about. He was always trying to get people to think, to get people to use their minds, and to consider what God was saying to them, to ponder important things. And so the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are a question. And here's the question he asked. He says, what are you seeking? Now, you may have noticed the NIV, which I read from, the question Jesus asked was, what do you want? And, and, and you know, that, that translation makes it kind of sound like Jesus was a bit annoyed or something. He's like, you know, what do you want? Why are you following me, you know? Um, he's like kind of asking them, like, what are you trying to get from me here? And ultimately, I don't think that that's really what Jesus was getting at. His question was much deeper. A more appropriate translation, in my opinion, is what are you seeking? It also could be what are your dreams? What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What do you want to see? You know, Jesus said a lot probably in those first few days of his ministry. He probably said other things to those two disciples in that moment. But the gospel writer, the one who wrote this book of John, chose these words as the words he wanted to put first from Jesus' mouth in his gospel. And these words were a question. What are you seeking? So we should know right off the bat that the gospel of John is for people who are seeking, people who are searching, who are longing, who are hoping for something better. I want you to imagine Jesus asking you that question this morning. What are you seeking? What are you longing for? What are you hoping for in your own life, in our community, in the world? What is it that you are seeking? That is a question I think we all need to consider. And we've got to keep considering and revisiting that question over and over and over again throughout our lives. Right now in January, at the beginning of the year, it's always a time I'm asking myself that question. What am I really seeking? Who do I want to be? I've already run in, talked to a few people this year who are saying that they're trying to kind of course correct and redirect their lives a bit right now because they realize that, that the things they want, they're not actually working towards. And so wanting to reorient and reprioritize. 
what is it that we really want in our lives? You know, in our society here, we're not encouraged to think too deeply on that question. The powerful forces of, of capitalism and just our, our society want to give us the answer to that question and also want to tell us how to achieve whatever it is that we're seeking. Think about this with me. All right? I think most people in the world ultimately are wanting fulfillment. We're wanting happiness. We're wanting belonging. We want wholeness. That biblical word shalom that I talked about, it's this idea of wholeness. It's being fully yourself, being fully alive in this world. I was reading a book by Brian McLaren this week, and, and he argued that what we're all seeking is aliveness. And I think that's a great way to think about what we really want in our lives. He says what, what we all want is actually pretty simple, really. He says we want to be alive. We want to feel alive. Not to just exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid. More awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. We capture this kind of mindful, overbrimming life in terms of well-being, shalom, blessedness, wholeness, harmony, life to the full and aliveness. When Jesus asked, what are you seeking? This is pretty close to what I'm seeking in my life. I imagine others of you feel the same. We want to be alive. We want to be fully ourselves, to be whole. Yet what I'm noticing in my own life and the lives of many of you all and others is that, is that we have a really hard time getting there, don't we? We have a hard time getting to the place where we want to be. Our society doesn't help us much because the answer from our society almost always is to buy more and to consume more. It's all about more, 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 and somehow that's going to get us to where we want to be. And we all recognize that's not working, right? That's not, being, that's not helpful at all. And I think many of us, if not all of us, recognize something's wrong. But we're not quite sure how to fix it, right? We know we're not who we want to be. And I think our story in John can help us. So the disciples responded to Jesus' question with another question. So Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? And then they responded to Jesus with another question. And what their question was, where are you staying? Now again, the translation is not very good here. The word for staying in Greek is this word meno. And now meno is used over 40 times in the Gospel of John. And it's almost always translated to abide or to remain. If you know the, the Scripture in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, that's the word we're talking about here. It's to abide. So their question is really much deeper than where Jesus is staying for the night where his room is or his tent is or what guest house he's staying in. They're wanting to know way more than that. They want to know where Jesus is abiding. I read these words this week. Audrey West says that they want to know about the enduring, permanent, eternal, undying dwelling place of this Lamb of God. Where are you staying? Where can we find you? Where shall we go to be with you to receive what you have to offer? Where can we be? in the very presence of 
God. They understood in that moment that abiding with Jesus, being with Jesus, was how they would become more alive, more awake, more grateful, more energized, more purposeful, more whole. I love the response from Jesus. He says, come and see. Come and see. The disciples are going to find what they're looking for in the experience of abiding with Jesus. It is through eternal and lasting friendship with Jesus that we find that aliveness that McLaren is talking about. The Gospel of John is a fascinating gospel. It's so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you've read all four, you know John seems a bit odd. And, and John is, one thing I love about John is because John hammers this point home over and over and over and over again. That how we become alive, how we find life, which is a predominant theme in John, finding life, being alive, being whole, it is through abiding with Jesus. It's through being so connected with Jesus that it's this kind of eternal friendship that's always there. That, that Jesus is the center, that out from Jesus, everything is flowing in our life. That is what the Gospel of John is all about. And John gives us the answer right at the beginning of his Gospel. That this is how we will find what we are seeking. It's through being with Jesus, abiding with Jesus, that eternal and lasting friendship with Him. You know, this week, Christina and I were talking through the sermon, and we came up with the idea just to do it together. And she pointed out to me this coolest part of the story that I wasn't really paying attention to. And so it says, so they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they spent the day with Him. Now, I love that the first thing in the Gospel of John that we see Jesus doing, it's not going and doing some big miracle. It's not taking his disciples on some crazy exorcism. No, Jesus spent the day hanging out with his new friends. So his first words were a question, what are you seeking? And his first action with his new friends was that they spent the day together. Perhaps the writer of this gospel is trying to show us something. That the path to becoming alive is being in relationship with Jesus. Christina is going to share a story from her life, and I invite her to come on up, that, that testifies to the truth of these words in John 1. And like I said, she's going to share a song for us, and she'll explain it. But for me, the song is a song for those of us who are having a hard time and just can't seem to get to where we want to be. And it's a song that maybe could help us get unstuck. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to Christina. Thanks, John. I was 19 years old when I bumped into the word abide for the first time, like intentionally. I probably read it before. But I was in John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, and I heard Jesus say, come abide with me. And it stirred up that longing for more aliveness. But it also stirred up something else, frustration. And just this idea of like, but how? I heard Jesus call me to abide, and I didn't know how to do it. I had heard people talk about a relationship with Jesus all my life. I'd grown up in the church, and I grew up in a Baptist church, which some others share that part of the story with me as well. They would have said at 11 years old, when I prayed a very specific prayer, I started that relationship, right? So I had been living in that environment. I had heard that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus had never been personal to me. He didn't feel like a friend. I didn't know how to find him. 
I didn't know how to abide with him. But at 19, when I heard him call me to abide, I wanted to. And so I said, how? Just tell me how, Jesus. How do I abide with you? And I was really asking what these disciples were asking. Where can I find you? Where can I really be in the presence of God? I started asking that question when I was 19, and I've been asking it ever since, learning about the different layers of what that looks like. Over the last decade of my own searching since that time, I've come to realize that the invitation Jesus makes in this passage, when he calls us to come, there's layers to that. And there's lots of layers, but I'm just going to break it down into two different kinds today. I think sometimes to really build an actual friendship with Jesus, the invitation is, come away with me. And then I think other times the invitation is, come engage with me. Come do the work of doing. And I don't think this is true in all communities necessarily, but I think here maybe sometimes it's easier for us to answer that second question, that second invitation to come and, and dive in and do some work and make sure we're active and working with Jesus. Sometimes that first invitation is a whole lot harder to respond to. But we're not going to rest by that invitation today. Jesus is in the midst of this place today, and he is extending the invitation, I believe, come away with me. When was the last time you spent a day with Jesus? An hour? Five minutes? Come away with me. We need to be reminded of this invitation over and over again because the noise around us is so loud. Maybe especially at the beginning of the year, this is a really important invitation. A lot of us are already thinking about trying to pick more of the things that bring us life up and put them into our lives. We're trying to think about letting go of the things that are stumbling blocks and that keep us from our full potential, right? Well, I'm just going to say it to you straight today, friends. In our planning, Jesus has to be included. We are designed so that abiding with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, creates the foundation for any other good thing to actually be a good thing in our lives. We've got to make that time with Jesus. But as important as that invitation is, I'm also aware that it's hard. That often making time to spend with Jesus feels like an uphill battle or just totally inaccessible. Some of us think five minutes with Jesus sounds really unrealistic. We, we don't, can't imagine like sitting down and, and trying to find Jesus even for five minutes. We wonder what would that look like? let alone spending a day with him. So I just want to share a little illustration from my life about that today. I, too, was daunted by the idea of spending a whole day with Jesus when I first was invited to practice Sabbath. But a college professor I really appreciated, really respected, invited me to practice Sabbath. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And the first time I ever set out to practice Sabbath, I remember I just did everything really slowly right? So I was very legalistic at that point in time, and I believed that if I was going to do Sabbath right, I needed to stretch out my pious activities over the whole day. So I was just real slow. I went to church that morning and talked to everybody I could talk to. I ate lunch in the cafeteria and, like, 
stretched out my courses of food and like walked really slowly back to my dorm. And I loaded up a backpack with some books and my Bible and a journal and a towel to spread out on the green. And I walked really slowly out to the semicircle. And then I got out my towel and I sat down and I went, oof, I'm out of slow. Like now it's just me and the silence. Like how am I gonna do this? And so I got out my journal, and I like to write, so that's what made sense to me. I started there. I got out my journal, and I just started to kind of pour out my heart, like Dear Diary style, but it started with Dear God. That's not how you have to journal. That's just what happened for me that day. And something weird happened, because I started to write. I came to, like, a natural pause. I, like, asked a question to the page. And I just sat, and I waited, and I didn't really know what happened next. And then it was like the beginning of an answer just kind of started to bubble up in my soul. Like just a few words. And I wrote those few words on the paper. And then I just kept writing. And it was like a conversation kind of like showed up on the page in front of me. Somehow in the silence and in my resistance, Jesus showed up. And I wasn't alone. And I, I felt seen and known. And it wasn't so hard to spend the afternoon that way. Somebody told me about a secret access prayer chapel, which, in, you know, made it way more exciting from the get-go. It was across the street at the seminary, and somebody gave me the code. I still don't really know how that happened. I think it was just gift, right? And so I would pack up my guitar, and I'd sling it over my shoulder because mine's cool. It has straps. And I would walk across the street when the sun set so I could make sure nobody else was going to be around. And I would, like, slip into this little secret prayer chapel. And it would be just me. And I would kneel down on the floor, and I would just sit there in the silence. I had never loved silence before, but I began to. And I would just feel so held in that silence, just so held by him. And sometimes I'd pull out my Bible, and I'd read, and sometimes I would read the same psalm week after week after week and just kind of soak in it. Wasn't expecting myself to learn anything or make some great discovery. I just kind of soaked in it. And then eventually I would take out my guitar and strum some chords, and sometimes lyrics would come bubbling out. I'd write whole songs in just a few minutes, and, and then I would listen back to them, and I would realize that in the song there was my wrestling, but then it also went somewhere, and it, like, took me to some wisdom that Jesus wanted me to hear. It's weird. Writing for me has always been a conversation. It's better when I don't talk, when I listen and when I write. And I came to love my Sabbath days. I came to love sneaking away to spend the day with Jesus. And I found the ingredients that made that time so special were creativity and silence and solitude and just really giving myself space to discover. And I started to crave those ingredients in my everyday life. I experimented with lots of different disciplines. I'd memorize scripture on little index cards while I walked across campus. I'd, like, see a leaf that was shaped like a heart and be like, oh, Jesus, you see me, you know? Just everything came alive. And I, I came to the point where I realized that my whole life had the capacity to just be saturated with the presence of God. And I began to learn what it meant to abide, to remain in him. But I still had this deep sensation that my abiding was dependent 
on the regularity and even the sincerity with which I practiced disciplines. I would panic. I would wonder with no small degree of distress on weeks that I overscheduled myself and missed a Sabbath. And I would wonder, have I fallen out of abiding? And it took me a long time, a lot of years, a lot of seasons, to really learn that my abiding relationship with Jesus wasn't made or broken by the good things I did. Those things just made me more aware of that relationship, more plugged into the power that it offered me. And you know, it took trauma. And it took coming to the end of myself and feeling like I couldn't do anything at all to really get to the point where I began to believe Jesus' words that I could abide in him because he was already abiding in me. In seasons drenched in numbness and questions and doubt, I didn't spend a whole day with Jesus. I didn't know how to anymore. For many months that blurred together, I didn't practice Sabbath. On my best days, I spent mere moments in broken conversations where I didn't have much to say and I never really felt like I heard anything back. Slowly, I learned to breathe as prayer. I learned that I could walk outside when it rained and cry and breathe and call it worship. I learned to pay attention when a few scattered lines of a song I'd heard at some point in the past kind of floated across my mind. I'd look up the song and I'd just like sit on the couch and play the song and often weep and just let that be it. Let it cleanse me. I also learned to use my best energy to dance in the kitchen as a form of worship. I would fling my whole broken body around the space with abandon because no one had ever told me how to do it right. And so I could be free. That was worship for me. Slowly, I started to learn how to spend the day with Jesus again. I learned how to find solace in Sabbath. I went back to the journal and I started to find the voice of my soul and the voice of my good shepherd again. Couldn't make myself journal any other time. Used to be like a daily thing at one point in my life. Now it's like only on Sabbath, on a good one, right? But it's there. It's important to me. I learned to build a whole lot of spaciousness and intentional slowness still. Grace and gentleness into those days. Now when I Sabbath, I just let my body wake me up. I sleep until my body wakes me up. And then I eat something that nourishes me. Usually there's some chocolate chips involved. It's for the soul, too. And then I just read or pray or journal, whatever feels like it's calling to me at that moment. And I just do a little bit at a time, and usually I end up falling asleep. And I nap without any sort of guilt about the fact that peace can turn into sleep. I spend time with people who are life-giving to me. I'm honest about who I am. I don't hide my anxieties or my scars. I choose to be honest when I'm interacting with the people who are part of my community. And sometimes I put away house chores even though I'm not a very clean person and so they're usually there waiting for me. Sometimes I put them away when it feels burdensome. But sometimes, even on my Sabbath, I will feel God extend to me a gentle invitation to restore order to my space and to myself. 
And so sometimes I will sing and do dishes. My Sabbath looks different than it did when I first found it. But it's still so incredibly important to the foundation of how I live my life. I believe today that there's nothing special about my experience. I've learned how to talk about it, so that might feel different. But I believe the invitation is extended to every one of us today. Come away with me. Maybe this year, for you, the invitation is to try Sabbath for the first time. Maybe it's to return to Sabbath. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe you need five minutes of silence to get over the fact that it feels terrible and start to find something on the other side. If the invitation for each of us might be something different, but it's there. I believe it's for every single one of us. But I also, having been with Jesus in seasons full of life and having found him abiding with me in the dark, can't talk about spending time with Jesus today without acknowledging that this feels super burdensome and not life-giving to at least some of you in the room. Because I've been there. I've been the one hearing these kind of things, feeling like it didn't apply to me. I know that for some of us in this room, the problem with accepting this invitation from Jesus is deeper than a logistical issue of finding time. For some of us, that desire for aliveness has gone unmet for so long, we just feel kind of dead inside. Whether it's because of trauma or loss or whatever our own specific kind of suffering is, we just feel kind of dead inside. It's hard to imagine moving beyond this place where we're stuck. The distance, the numbness, the feeling like the intimacy other people talk about doesn't apply to you. It can be hard to believe that this invitation is for you today, too. But with all the gentleness that that particular pain requires, hear me today. Come away with me, Jesus says to you. I'm going to share a song today that I wrote several years ago, actually. And I didn't bump into it again until this past week. I sat down at the piano the day I wrote it, and I recorded it on my voice memo app, and I walked away from it and I haven't done anything with it. Three years later, I found it again, and I went, oh, there's something for me to learn here. I remember the time I was writing it, I was having an incredibly difficult time figuring out how to do anything active to spend time with Jesus. And I just remember sitting in my house, and I just prayed, and I said, God, I feel like I just broke down completely. Like I just came to a screeching halt and I have no idea how to get moving again. This inertia is just too much to overcome. I am not a science person. You could look at my ACT scores and that would be very clear to you. I can't tell you when I learned about inertia. I probably couldn't have defined it for you in that moment. But it's the word that felt like it captured my experience. I felt like the Lord gave it to me as some sort of like handhold in a moment where I felt like I was groping in the dark. So it shows up in this song. I sat down and I wrote a song and used the word inertia and walked away. And then I came back this week and I heard the song and I went, oh, yeah, 
I remember this feeling. Inertia. Huh. I looked it up. I was like, I need to know what it really means since it's in this song. And I Googled it, and two definitions came up from Google. And the first one is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. That's it. That's where I was when I wrote this song. I think that's what I thought it meant. And then the second one, I got really excited. It's from physics, y'all. Prepare yourselves. A property of matter by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force. Fancy science words aside, it spoke directly to my soul. Here's what I heard in that definition. Inertia is a property of matter, a condition of being human, since we're made of matter, in which someone who is not moving will keep not moving unless they are acted on by an external force. Do you see the power there yet? Let me keep teasing it out, okay? What is true for us physically, since we are fully connected, you know, we're not just bodies, we're body, mind, spirit, heart, all of that. Since we're all connected, what's true for us physically, because we're made up of matter, has to have some sort of effect on our spiritual life too, right? So when we are stuck, we're going to keep being stuck until Jesus changes it. He won't change us without our consent. My friend Riley likes to say Jesus is consensual. But you better believe he's also faithful. And when we ask him, he changes us. It might be slow. It might be painful. It might take a whole lot longer than we would have ever chosen. But he changes us. Come away with me. Jesus says to you, today, you might only be able to reply, I can barely get out of bed. I have nothing to offer you, but it's yours. Friends, when we have absolutely nothing at all to offer, our nothing is our offering. And that's enough. As Jesus reminded me when I heard this song again this week, he can take even that, even our stuckness, even our all-too-natural inertia, and transform it. In the process, he can transform us too. So I'm going to play this song. I retaught it to myself this week. Guys, I've played it like four times, so grace me. But I didn't write this song because I was imagining what someone else might feel like. I wrote it because I felt this. I wrote it because I needed it, and because through this song, Jesus was reaching out to me. So as I play it today, I do so with the hope that maybe it gives you language, maybe a prayer to pray in the dark, but most importantly, my hope is that as I play this song, Jesus just might reach out to you. Some days I don't know if I'm just lazy 
your gifts and I don't know quite when I broke like this but we've been stalling ever since You bring 